0: Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of TI Talks Supply Chains. I'm your host, Kirsty Adams, Head of Media Content here at TI. This episode, we're discussing biopharmaceuticals and how, according to our latest pharmaceutical report, they're changing big pharma supply chains. We're also discussing margin pressure across last mile and contract logistics. Guests include Julia Swales, Senior Editor here at TI.
1: Biologics need to be stored in temperatures well below freezing. And in order to achieve this, we need specialist temperature controlled warehouse and shipping measures. And these all have to be introduced to the supply chain.
0: And Nia Hudson, one of our research analysts.
2: Around 70% of our respondents that worked in the express and parcels market said that they were currently experiencing increased pressure on margins.
0: going to bring Julia and Nia on in a moment but first I'd like you to meet Michelle, Kirsten and Peter. I did some brief interviews with them at an event called Multimodal 2023 which took place at the NEC a couple of weeks ago. I was there with the TI team to do some demos for our knowledge platform GSCI. It's a platform that can help you track air, ocean and road freight rates for example. And it also provides market size and forecasting data. It's really easy to book a demo. So if you would like to, please see the link in the show notes. So I dragged each of the aforementioned multimodal attendees into a slightly less noisy corner. And we talked about a few different things, including free ports, the positive impact of diversity and some really interesting stats on how important the logistics sector is to the UK. So... Here is our multimodal mix.
3: My name's Kirsten Tisdale. My company is Orissia Limited. And tomorrow at Multimodal, I'm speaking on behalf of women in logistics.
0: Can you start by sharing some of the data from the
3: gender pay gap and the number of senior roles women have in logistics? I'd just like to say that one of the reasons I'm concentrating on the gender pay gap is because we do have this decent data in that area, but other Uh, Other diversity is just as important and other inequalities are just as important. If I um, look at the UK as a whole, about 30% of companies have that well-balanced with respect to the number of women generally and with respect to the number of women in the senior team. If I look at logistics, in 2022-23, it only has um, 12% of companies in that box The good thing is that that is up from 6% in 2017-18. It's really important to have a diverse workforce. Number one, it's really good with respect to innovation. I think we can all see that if you've got a combination of different sorts of people sitting around the table, you're going to get more ideas. And if you've got more ideas, you're going to get better ideas. It's really important with respect to talent attraction. I'm going to talk tomorrow about an Intel survey, which showed that under 35s, 56% fifty six percent would hesitate to join a company that, that where they couldn 't see a diverse leadership team. If you look at the over 45s, it's still 7 in 20 people might not come and join your company if they're not seeing that diversity in the leadership team. You've then got reputation and and risk management. Um, One of the biggest companies in the world in terms of asset management, BlackRock, which manages trillions of dollars of of money, they've actually voted down all-male boards in the past because they want to see that diversity. When the financial crash happened, 10 years and 13 years ago, there were statistics that came out of that that showed that a company with no women on the board whatsoever was 20% more likely to become bankrupt. Um, And just having one woman made that difference. A lot of the evidence in this area about decision-making comes from um, juries in the US, where they've examined the decisions taken by juries and where you've got a diverse jury... The evidence is that they look at more evidence, more items of evidence, and they look at that evidence in more detail. And that's because if I think I'm like you, I don't necessarily feel I've got to justify myself to you. But if we're different, I feel like I've got to explain where I'm coming from. And then all of those three things, innovation, talent and reputation risk analysis feed into better financial performance, and there's hundreds of studies that show that you can get better financial performance if you have a diverse
4: team. My name is Peter Draper, CEO of the SSO Group, which incorporates SSO International Forwarding and SSO Logistics. The Freeport concept um, has been going since 2012, but been a bit defunct. And uh, I think Rishi Sunak uh, resurrected it in 2021. Uh, We applied for um, authorization in May last year, and we got it through in December. We're the first Freeport site in the north of England. There's only four actual sites in the UK at the moment, but there are... Are eight sites awaiting activation so if you go on to the government website there are eight freeport zones there's like sort of uh, the northeast tilbury plymouth birmingham airports one uh, liverpool one which were the first one in liverpool so there's quite a few and i think there's now some in scotland and wales and so for the legislation to kick in you have to have a cso custom site operator and so that's how it gets activated Freeports a good idea for people who import from the far east anything with duty on So what happens is normally a a customer would import uh, freight and have to pay duty and VAT as it arrives. So with a free port, it comes into any port in the UK, comes into the free port zone and then nothing's charged until you actually sell it to your customer. So huge cash flow benefits. And one of the bigger benefits is if you ever sell to Europe or Southern Ireland, you never pay the duty at all.
5: Hi, so I'm Michelle Gardner. I'm Deputy Director of Policy for Logistics UK. We are the trade association for the logistics industry in the UK and we represent 20,000 members and we are here because we represent rail, water, road, and air transport logistics. Our report published today, the Logistics Report 2023, shows that the logistics industry in 2021 added 163 billion to the UK economy and logistics GVA is now 11% of the non-financial economy. It also has highlighted that there is 2.7 million logistics jobs in the economy in the UK in 2022, and that is 8.2% of total employment. Now, more generally, um, 29% of respondents expect their business to diversify in 2023, whereas 23.9% expect to consolidate their businesses. And I think what's important to note, of course, is that while the general findings of the report were generally positive, of course, the industry did face some significant challenges, particularly in the latter half of last year. So, we had the global energy price shock, we had crude oil and diesel price rises of up to 50% and of course we have those changing trade processes post Brexit and the industry is also coming under greater pressure to decarbonise. At the moment, big topic of conversation is of course net zero and the industry decarbonizing because there is huge investment that needs to happen and what our members are saying is they want to find out more about the long-term plan particularly around infrastructure and the energy demands as we switch to alternative fuels and then more generally we also have as I've already mentioned we're in a post-Brexit world and we have new things coming into play at the border particularly the target operating model and the single trade window and we have some Changes coming up at the end of this year and members are very concerned about those changes, not because we don't support them, because actually the things that are happening, new IT systems are actually things we support. It's the deadline and the short turnaround time for our members to now be prepared now that the government is firming up its plans.
0: Thank you, Michelle, for flagging up those changes and challenges, especially around decarbonisation. Kirsten always tells me things which stick, like the fact under 35s wouldn't join a company without a diverse leadership team. I'll remember that one. Do you know what biopharmaceuticals are? Well, I can tell you that they're very important to big pharma, but that's about it. However, my colleague Julia can tell you much more. She's one of our senior editors and the researcher behind our Global Pharmaceuticals Report – 2023. Okay, here's Julia now with some pharma global market sizing data and analysis. Remember, there's a link to the report in the show notes.
1: Well, at the core of the report is our pharma global market sizing data and analysis for 2023. We're looking at changes across countries, and we're giving forecasts up until 2027. And it also contains revenue data for the top 10 pharma companies and case studies, as well as an outline of top trends in the pharma industry.
0: Can you tell us what are biologics or biopharmaceuticals?
1: As most people probably know, the world's pharmaceutical market is made up of over-the-counter drugs like aspirin and paracetamol. And these are also known as generics or small molecule drugs. But the low value nature of the product really results in small profit margins. So this has caused big pharma companies to turn their attention to newer drugs, known as biologics or biopharmaceuticals. And due to their sophisticated and high-value nature, they have the potential for much higher profit margins.
0: What has this meant for supply chains?
1: Well, because of their complexity and the fact that they're more susceptible to contamination and degradation, there has to be a lot of investment in their manufacturing conditions and the transportation. So this leads to a far higher cost per drug in comparison to generics. And obviously, it's also more complex because the biologics need to be stored in temperatures well below freezing. And in order to achieve this, we need specialist temperature controlled warehouse and shipping measures. And these all have to be introduced into the supply chain. This is a major challenge for the industry because it's estimated that some 20% of biologics which require cryogenic conditions, will be affected by breaks in the cold chain supply chain. So there's been investment in packaging, the packaging sector, innovations such as the first non-liquid nitrogen shipment system in 2020, and obviously artificial intelligence and sensor technology is key to provide transparency and information on the state of the cold supply chain. Really express carriers and logistics companies who can create strong digital cold supply chains will see success in this new pharmaceutical logistics market. In terms of intermodal international transport, manufacturers of these biologics often prefer sea freight over air freight because of the lower costs and because obviously the biologics are transported in reefer containers. So the batches are kept within their specific temperature range. But of course, if it's time constrained, um, air transport becomes the preferred solution. I mean, of course, the temperature control transport increases costs. Also, the risk of a batch becoming unstable due to any failures or human errors that might occur in transit.
0: Julia, what are the origins of these biologics? Well, in
1: 1982, human insulin was developed using DNA technology. This was the first step towards new treatments that imitated a compound that could only be made by the human body. And this led to the term biologics being coined. So then since the 1980s, the sector has grown really quickly. The biologics industry is actually now valued at around $400 billion. And the growth over the next few years will cause a rise in demand for specialist transport methods and also the circular localised supply chain, which is important for the biologics too. Most of the, the biopharma market is dominated by monoclonal antibodies, which are manufactured from living sources that produce antibodies, such as human B cells. And then the final stage is the distribution of the treatments in vials or syringes to a global market using intermodal international transport, which I mentioned before.
0: And you've shared some of their specialised logistics requirements. Are there any others you can share with us?
1: A big problem in the supply chain really is, is theft, because a truck or container full of biologics represents thousands of dollars merchandise. So it's, it's not just a commercial problem because, you know, theft of, of the product could result in compromised biologics, ending up on the black market as well, with consequences of patient health. Most of these thefts occur while the products are, are being transported. So more direct routes are being looked at as this reduces the number of times the biologic is is transshipped. And smaller local supply chains will help mitigate these risks too.
0: And are parts of the supply chain circular?
1: Yes. Interestingly, they're unique. It is circular by its very nature. Patients are not only the end of the supply chain, but they also provide the initial sample, which is very unusual supply chain. So often the white blood cells are sent from the patient to laboratory and then from the sample, the treatment is made specific for the patient. So the circularity, the fragility of the product, the complexity of the processes, it's far greater than conventional generic supply chains. So the closer the manufacturing labs are to the target destination, the cheaper it would be and often there's less risk. So this is an important factor in supply chain modeling. The supply chain is based on where the patient market is, as opposed to other factors such as availability of labour or manufacturing costs.
0: So are there opportunities in far-merging economies and in new markets?
1: Yes, well, obviously there have been you know huge strides forward in infrastructure, sanitation. A number of low-middle-income emerging market countries are experiencing changes from the transmissible diseases – to other conditions, which were more common to developed economies in in the past. So such as cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes. I mean, this trend occurred in developed nations back in the 1960s. So this really provides opportunities for the biologics market. But it's a challenge because the logistics sector needs to find the most cost-effective methods of importing these types of treatments, and the COVID crisis showed that many emerging markets actually struggled to struggle with supply of treatments and vaccines and distribution. It's estimated that, you know, patients are paying maybe 20 or 30 times more for their health care than in developed countries. And they then have to go through private providers. There's not much competition on prices. So for logistics companies with an international presence, they, they will benefit from opportunities arising from, um, in emerging economies, but uh, also the increasing investment in emerging economies. Uh, but there's a long way to go. Thanks, Julia. Can you give us a brief
0: overview of some of the global pharmaceuticals' markets?
1: Europe and North America account for the majority of the global market share for pharmaceutical logistics, round about 71 72%. But as of 2022, the global pharmaceutical markets dominated on a regional level by North America. However, its growth was damaged by Mexico's performance. Pharma production went down there in 2020. This was reported in the United Nations Industrial Development Organization Index. But then in 2022, the demand for pharmaceutical logistics grew again due to increasing sales of generic drugs and reforms in the healthcare sector favoring generics. And it was fueled by the ongoing vaccine rollout, and an aging population. So Canada and the US, um, within North America, are forecast to experience growth. And, you know, there's eased regulation for patents and vaccines. There's, there's more um, availability of, of research funds. And, of course, lots of emerging new technologies. Europe, as, as I said, is, is a very important global pharmaceutical market. And Germany and Switzerland are the biggest within Europe. But but it's interesting because the growth rates for Ireland and Belgium stand out. Because Ireland is now the largest net exporter of pharmaceuticals in Europe. And approximately 120 of overseas companies have plants in Ireland, including nine out of 10 of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world. Conversely, for Belgium, the the growth rate was negative in 2022. And in 2021, Belgium was, was a global export hub for pharma. It was a major driver of, of pharmaceutical innovation. But now there's actually more competition from distributors from other countries, such as France, which have entered the market. So I'd also like to talk about Asia-Pacific because, of course, it's uh, a significant market. It owns around about 18% of the global pharma logistics markets. So the region had a really high growth rate in 2021. And then it dropped in 2022, mainly due to China's lockdowns, which lasted until the end of 2022. Also it disrupted supplies of APIs, resulting in increased costs and specialist packaging materials, such as aluminium, which were affected. It wasn't only the interruption to production. It was also international transportation, which struggled because of volatile demand and constraints on operational capacity. Some exporters also found that due to the lack of lots of flights to China, shipping by air wasn't an option anymore. So it's estimated actually that China, Japan and India will, you know, their market share will really increase, will increase sharply by 2027, because China and India are likely to experience continuous growth.
4: Hi, I'm Michael, head of commercial at TI Insights. I just wanted to interrupt for 30 seconds to tell you a bit more about TI's research and data. TI's research is devised to show you what's happening in the market today. That includes the changes to expect over the next year and the outlook for the industry for the next five to 10 years. This research is delivered with a mix of quantitative forecasts and qualitative insights. Our data platform, GSCI, empowers senior leaders at global logistics companies with the strategic intelligence they need to move their business forward. Okay, well, maybe that was slightly longer than 30 seconds. Forgive me. But if you want to find out more, you can email me on mclover at tiinsight.com or visit www.ti-insight.com. This information is also in the show notes.
0: Now Nia is going to talk to you about margin pressure. The research you're about to hear is from our Contract Logistics 23 report, which you can find on our website, ti-insights.com. I'll add the link to the show notes too. Are supply chain professionals in the express and parcels and contract logistics markets experiencing increased pressure on margins at the moment?
2: I would say categorically, yes, based on a survey that we ran from January to March at the start of this year, around 70% of our respondents that worked in the express and parcels market said that they were currently experiencing increased pressure on margins. And then for those that worked in the 3PL contra logistics market, that rose to 90% of our respondents. So based on those results, I would hands down say that those professionals are definitely seeing increased pressure on their margins at the moment.
0: And can you tell us what the reasons for those pressures are?
2: Yeah, again, we had similar answers across the board from both of those professionals, which was increased costs. It's not particularly surprising at the moment. I think costs have been increasing across the board due to inflation and the really challenging economic environment at the moment. For our Express and Parcels respondents, around 34% said increased fuel costs. And this rated a lot higher than increased workforce costs for these respondents, after that, increased competition seemed to rate quite highly as well. I think from the perspective of our 3PR respondents particularly, those that are more exposed to the e-commerce vertical would probably feel this a lot more than others because there's been a real big influx of you know, last mile tech-based startups as well as e-fulfillment startups as well. So that was quite an interesting response that we got, although it didn't rate the highest reason for increased pressures. It was up there as the sort of second or third highest for those respondents as well.
0: What strategies do professionals in the in both sectors plan to adopt to sustain profit margins?
2: Investment in technology. Again, both of our respondents said that that was the main sort of most successful strategy that would need to be adopted to sort of sustain profit margins Obviously, this varies by the respondents. So, it might mean kind of automation in warehouses. It might mean better sort of route optimization for those in the last mile sector. But again, categorically, it was investment in technology, which again is unsurprising. I think it's a big thing at the moment, particularly all these conversations around AI as well. I think that's definitely an emerging kind of technology that has created quite a lot of excitement. And I think we'll definitely see more about that, more investment in that, more sort of research around how that can be used in logistics and supply chains as the years go by. Um, But yeah, investment in technology was the number one most successful strategy um, thought to sustain profit margins over the next kind of five years from our respondents.
0: Is there anything that came out of the survey that surprised you?
2: Yes, particularly from our sort of 3PL respondents. So we asked these respondents how their volumes have changed over the past 12 months and then how would they expect their volumes to change over the next 12 months? And for me, amid all this negative rhetoric surrounding the economy this year, you would expect that many of these respondents would expect to see a decline in their volumes next year. However, around 52% of our respondents expected a volume increase of somewhere between 0 to 25%, which for me really stood out because obviously there's a lot going on at the moment with inflation and the war You would expect that these companies would expect to see a volume decline, but that was not the case with this survey that we ran. So that definitely surprised me.
0: Thanks, Nia. A link to the reports that both Nia and Julia were talking about is in the show notes. As Nia just said, investment in technology will need to be adopted to help operators sustain profit margins. Well, what will that mean to you? I would love to know. So send me a voice note or an email to... Adams at ti insight.com. That's it from me. See you next time.